Hello, folks. Thank you for listening to Christ Church at Grow Farm Sermon Podcast. As we enter into Holy Week, we will be hearing messages from our Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday services. If you would like more information about Christ Church at Grow Farm, or would like to connect with our pastors, staff, or ministry leaders, I would encourage you to visit our website, ccgf.org. Enjoy the messages from this week. Grace and peace to you. I thought about uh, our being together here at the uh, lakeside this morning. One of the appearances of Jesus was at uh, the side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The disciples had gone back to do some fishing. He'd already been crucified and resurrected and the word was out. But they found it very, very hard to believe. And they were out on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus turned up on the side of that body of water. As I go through this, I I am aware that uh, next year, a group of us from Christ Church are going to be on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to that spot where Jesus met the disciples on the side of the Sea of Galilee. He'd lit a fire, just like you see out there. He was cooking some fish, and the disciples spotted him on the side of the, the lake there, and rushed in and ate with him. One of those miraculous resurrection visits of Jesus. This really is like a victory day celebration. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to most of you. But I was born just ahead of the Second World War. All my childhood, up until 1945, we were at war with Nazi Germany in England. We got the news reports daily on the radio, and when we went to the cinema, we saw news of uh, the battlefields. Uh, live news on the screen. Now when you think of that as a little boy, all my childhood up until I was about age, let me work this out, seven. Is that right? Let me start again. I was born in 36. The war began in 39 for the Brits. So that means when the war began, I was three. And they fought for four years to victory. I was seven. And I had a brother and I, who were 18 months apart, Irish twins, as we call them over there. And uh, we were very, very difficult to control. My dad had already died in 1943. My mother was left with three boys, of which I was the oldest, and now I'm age seven. My brother was uh, six, five going on six. And we went to school one morning, 
which was, I suppose, about a half a mile walk from our house. And when we got to the school, we were told, school is closed, the war is over. Well, that was quite an amazing thing. I was really happy that school was closed. <laughs> so my brother and I made our way back home. My mother had not picked up on the news. She hadn't heard it on the radio. She didn't know. So here we come back now, having gone to school and back home, and my mother said, what are you doing here? Get back to school. We said, mum, the school is closed because the war is over. She said, don't you come with that nonsense. <laughs> Get back to school. Mum, the war is over. School is closed. It's a big deal. That was what we then referred to in early days as VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. And did Britain celebrate? We lit bonfires in the streets. For years afterwards, the tarmacadam, the blacktop was uh, uh, scarred. Where we'd had these big, big bonfires. We had street parties. We had flags everywhere, the Union Jack. Uh, bunting everywhere. It was like nearly an endless celebration that first several months following the close of the war. It was over. It was done. What a victory celebration we have. To celebrate the battle over death and sin and hell and judgment won. A one-man battle. The Son of God came to earth to take it all on. And as these women were now going back to that scene that was read for us, are making their way to the grave, the tomb, to finish off a funeral a burial. There was unfinished business and they were making their way uh, to the gravesite. And as they were going with the, uh, the, the, the kind of uh, ointments and oils with which they were going to embalm his body, the Lord's body, they realized that there would be a big stone across the grave and how would they get in? Who will move the stone so that we can do what we have to do? Somehow they'd not thought about that until they were on their way there. Who will move the stone? Well, they get there and the stone is rolled away. And when they look inside, there's an angel, a young man, dressed in white. Why are you here? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Was really the question. He is not here. He is risen. Go tell his disciples. Now, that was like from... It was unbelievable. You, you've got to get the picture. In a state of broken heartedness and distress, 
in the misery and failure of everything that seemed to be wonderful up until they took Jesus and crucified him. And these ladies, broken-hearted, among the Mary Magdalene, one of his most magnificent converts. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord first reveals himself as resurrected to ladies in a man's world in those days? They were going there just to finish off a funeral. Very sad, very downhearted, broken-hearted to go and bound, bound the body of Jesus that had been whipped to nearly death, then crucified, torn off the cross. Have you ever asked yourself how they got Jesus off the cross? Think about that. They actually had to tear his hands over the nails, the thick nails, and his feet to get him off the cross. What a mess. What an ugly, vile mess. And they were going to embalm that broken, whipped, executed body of Jesus. And they get the news that he's alive. He is alive. Now, the composite story of Jesus being resurrected. The stone was rolled away. A very famous book, book by an, an author, Frank Morrison. Who moved the stone? Who rolled that stone away? I'll tell you this. The stone wasn't rolled away by God himself so that these ladies could get there and see Jesus wasn't there. Excuse me. I misquoted myself. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could come out. That is what I meant to say. The stone was rolled away so that they could look in. And when they looked in, sure enough, he wasn't there. But what they saw were the linen clothes that had been wrapped around his body lying there with the napkin, it says, that had been around his head, laying just apart from the body. Now, when you get that piece of information, and I always go to the, like, the, the rationale, all the reasons why you can believe that Jesus really was raised from the dead, this is one of them. If the body had been stolen, they would have either taken the body with the wrapping, it's hard to imagine they would have unwrapped the body. But since the grave clothes are there, and Jesus wasn't, but the mystery of that is, as it's described in the Gospels, it was like his body was, beam me up Scotty, had come through the material. It was the grave clothes were laid out as if there had been a body, but now no body. And they draw attention to that in the Gospels. When you think around all that, because 
one of the false lies that was put out there to cover up what had really happened by those who didn't want to believe it is that somebody had come and stolen the body. Well, for sure, if they'd stolen the body, they would either not have unwrapped it, they'd have just taken the whole thing away, or that the, the, the grave clothes they took off, unwrapped, would be just thrown, cast around. It would not be like the body's gone, but the grave clothes are lying there as if the body had been in them. And when they run back and tell the disciples, they thought they'd gone berserk. How can he be alive? And then Jesus starts turning up different venues, different places, different scenes, witnessing to those unbelieving disciples that he really was alive. One of those scenes, it's in John's Gospel, the disciples are all gathered together Doubting Thomas has already said, unless I put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in the side, I will not believe. Because Peter had seen him, the other disciples had seen him, the ladies had seen him. He hadn't. And all the disciples, including Thomas this time, were gathered together in this room, door shut, door bolted for fear of the Jews, disciples in hiding, when Jesus turns up, bing, like there. How did he get there? He didn't come through an open door. His resurrection body could appear or disappear like the body that passed up through the grave clothes. He was out of the grave and out of the scene, and the stone rolled away just so that the ladies could see that he was not there. When Jesus turned up at the enclosed room, like just there, suddenly he is there. An extraordinary thing happened. He picked out Thomas. Now I want you to just get this. Thomas is in the, in the crowd of a dozen or so people. And Jesus is there. I mean visually. Alive, present. Put yourself in Thomas's shoes. Suddenly he's looking at Jesus. And then Jesus walks to him, Thomas. I said, Thomas, see my hands, put your finger in the nail prints. Here's my side, put your hand in the wound. Now, what do you think Thomas first thought? Well, for sure, the first thing was, there he is, Jesus, he is alive. But when Jesus challenged him, with his own words from an earlier gathering of the disciples when Jesus apparently was not there, was not visual, he's challenging Thomas with the words of unbelief, put your finger in the nail prints. 
And I will almost guarantee you, this is speculative, but when you put yourself in his shoes at that scene, he was saying to himself, how did he know I said that? He must have been there. I couldn't see him. He wasn't visible just like he wasn't visible when we go assembled here. And then he was vis visible to them. Back when he expressed all his unbelief, Jesus was there. Not visible, but there. That's like this morning. Jesus is here. The same Jesus who in dying on that cross loved you enough. You. You. He loved you enough to take all the crap and filth of your life on himself on that cross. And he is here. And we can't see him. But he is here. I'll tell you what else is here right now. Just, just like a, a parallel thought. Going through here now are millions of communications. Photographs, pictures, music. I have turned off my cell phone. I'm like this is it's right here if you and I'm glad we're not hearing a cell phone ring even as I'm saying this but all those words and pictures and music can be picked up and they're passing right through here right now and you know that's true just as true as you know that when you can't see any of it right now. Jesus is alive and present here and he loves you. I came to know Jesus when I was 18. Kevin and I were just talking together on the front seats here. He's new to us, like only the second time you've been here. Came Good Friday and then came back this morning first thing. So we were just chatting with each other. And I spoke about how he came to know the Lord and how I came to know the Lord. Would you know it, both of us got to know the Lord chasing a girl to church. <laughs> both of us. Broken hearted. Some of you have heard me tell you that story. I won't go back over it. But I will tell you this, when I got to know Jesus at age 18, I woke up that first morning having asked Jesus into my life the night before, sat up in my bed, and my first thought was this, I am no longer alone. I didn't have a Bible, I didn't have all the memory verses, I didn't know all the truths of the Bible, but I did know intuitively by the grace of God that Jesus was there with me. 
when I took off down the street, Jesus was going down Woodland Avenue. That's where I live. That's the street I lived on in London on my way to school. Jesus was with me. What an amazing thing. No longer alone. I had been such a lonely adolescent in the bright lights of London. Alone, lonely. And I knew I was no longer alone. What a joy. I mean, it was... My spirit exalted. No longer alone. And the Jesus who had died for me had come into my life. I'd been made a new creation. I didn't know all those ideas. I just experienced it. With me. And that's been my experience across all the years since then. Jesus is alive. And I go back all to all the evidences when I'm tempted to doubt and just doubt is a thing in and of itself. I go back to all the evidence of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is the central key doctrine by which all the other doctrines become alive and true to us. That he walked from the grave alive. He dared declare victory over death and over the sin which brings about eternal death to us. And the birth of a new life within us as Jesus comes in is all real. He is alive. And even though I say that, I see the sun shining down on the heads of you all behind me now, in front of me, but behind the sun behind you. Beautiful picture. Just over here, you all look like saints. <laughs> all lit up. Jesus is here. When you go from here, he goes with you. If you know and love him. And the great declaration that Jesus is alive spread so fast and victoriously throughout the then world. The expansion of the gospel was brilliant and multiplied many, many times until today, now even today. Jesus is alive. His gospel is real. He loves you. Let's bow our heads and pray together. O living Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for every evidence of your resurrection, all the way down to the evidence of your presence in our lives, the way you have transformed us, renewed us, made us your own, live through us, transform our lives, our destiny, our associations and relationships. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.